everyone, my name is Athena and you're listening to Vanished in the Valley. Today we are going to cover some of the disappearances that happen in American national parks. Now, the national park system was created in 1916 and since then there have been an estimated 1,000 to 1,600 people that have gone missing in American national parks. Now, the reason I say estimated and, you know, the huge six-member gap, there is no centralized record of the missing people from our national parks. Some national parks don't even keep records. So when trying to investigate all the people that just seemingly vanish in the woods, it can get very tricky. Someone may go missing for many reasons. They could become lost or disoriented, suffer an accident, or be delayed by weather or other inclement conditions. In some cases, their disappearance is voluntary or the result of a crime. A missing child may involve additional complex considerations. Or, since you're listening to Vanished in the Valley, there may be some spooky shit involved. And that's gonna be what we're sort of focused on today. Now while investigating these cases, I've already told you about David Pallides and the Missing 411 series. But in the other research I've been doing into all these mysterious disappearances in our national parks, some people claim Bigfoot is responsible. Some people claim that somehow other dimensions are opened up in the forest and people are swallowed up into it. And some people even claim the Fae, as in fairies, are responsible. So for this episode, like with most of my other episodes, you are going to have to go into it with an open mind and just listen and maybe consider all the possibilities before you say, ha, this bitch is fucking crazy. So please, Open your mind, sit back, and we are going to talk about some missing people. On November 15, 2015, 82-year-old retired U.S. Army Airborne Ranger veteran Thomas Messick was out on a hunting trip with six friends. Now, the area they went to was super rugged. It's the area of Lake George Wild Forest in the southern Adirondacks near the town of Horicorn, New York. So they had some younger guys with them and the older guys. And what they want to do is called a drive. Well, I guess that's what hunters call it. So the watchers, which was the older guys, stayed at the bottom of this little hill. And the younger ones went all the way up to the top of the back area. And we're going to try to scare or drive the deer down towards the watchers so they could get a shot in. So these guys are all super experienced. Thomas, check this out, guys. He taught hunting and survival classes. He was a super experienced outdoorsman. And even though he's 82 years old at this point, he was very capable. He had a walkie-talkie with him. He had his rifle with him. And when everybody tried to come back together to meet up to go back home, Thomas was just gone, missing. So... His friends tried to get him on the walkie-talkie, and all they got in response was static. They ended up firing shots, trying to think maybe he had fallen down or something, and he could fire his rifle back so they could follow the sounds of it. But nothing. 
nothing ever came in. They search around for hours. They're looking for Thomas and there's just literally no sign of him. They ended up calling the Rangers and four Rangers started searching for him. And after the four Rangers came in and couldn't find any side of him, 13 searchers from the sheriff's office came in. They had 12 volunteer fire to fire department personnel. They had state police there. I think it was estimated in the end there was about 50 to 60 different organizations in these woods looking for Thomas. Now, let me get to some of the super weird things about this case. The FBI came in on day number four. Now, that's really strange because the FBI doesn't usually investigate these types of cases. They will look into missing persons cases, but only when the individual is under 18 years old. So this has always been seen as particularly strange just because it's completely out of their jurisdiction. So why are they here? Why are they like interested in this elderly hunter and where he's gone? Messick's wife, Beverly, of 56 years, says, the FBI told me something isn't right with the case, but they don't know what. They won't share any theories if they have them. The FBI said until they make a discovery, they're never gonna know. Another strange clue, and this one I'm getting directly from the David Palladay's Missing 411 Hunted movie I watched. I was hella dumb. I thought it was a book, so I was getting all ready to like hunker down and you know read a book, and it actually was a movie. So I watched that, and let me tell you guys, I highly recommend it. If you want to like get yourself scared as hell, watch this movie. I'm going to get into some of the other stuff a little bit later, but for now, let's get back to Thomas. So one of the guys that was with Thomas, he was actually a friend of Thomas. He had been hunting and fishing with Thomas for like 50 years. He says that the whole trip had been off. They hadn't seen any wildlife at all. And he tries to describe this really strange sound he heard. It sounded like, quote unquote, crackling in the woods. And he says this was just before Thomas went missing. And this is a quote from him. I heard a strange noise in the woods, but I don't know what it was. Just a different noise from what I usually hear, you know? It had to be hard. It'd be hard to explain because, but it was different. Something was different that I never heard before in the woods. I just can't say what it was, you know? This was up towards the hill, the top of the hill. So he's kind of vague about it, but I feel like he's vague about it because he doesn't like have the right words to describe this noise. I mean, have you ever tried to describe a noise that you've never heard before? Like, it's almost like, how does a blind person describe the color black? It's fucking difficult. So that's just kind of the impression I got from him. There are just basically more questions than answers in Thomas's case. Say like he had a heart attack and died. Some of the dogs that were brought in to find him should have smelled him. Say like a wild animal attacked him. He should have been able to get a shot off at least, or maybe scream, alert the other hunters with him. But nothing, no sounds were ever heard of him. No clothing was ever found, nothing. It's like he completely just vanished into thin air. And with all the searchers there, they covered a lot of ground 
and they actually went further than they thought an 82-year-old man could get in the time that the hunter friends had not seen him. So it's just like that. We have a hunter that was there with friends and seems to vanish into thin air. And the FBI is in on it. So I don't know. We don't have answers for that. I mean, you could say it's just, you know, a misadventure out in the woods. But usually with misadventure, you find something. You find a body. You find some blood. You find some sort of physical evidence to point you in a direction of what may have happened to this person. So, but that's all we have. And the rest of these cases I'm about to tell you about are just super weird like this. Just complete vanishing into thin air. The next case I'm about to tell you about is a little bit different than the others. I actually got this off a Missing 411 subreddit. And the poster's username is BlueOG46. And when I saw his story, it just kind of like, I don't know, it, it kind of really fucking creeped me out, to be honest. And I don't think it's bullshit either. I, I don't know. Let me just tell you guys the story and we'll go from there. So he writes, about seven years ago, I went lightweight camping with a friend in a national forest that we're very familiar with. It was night, camp was set, and we were at camp around the fire. Unexpectedly, it started raining, like Vietnam raining, which was very odd, as the whole weekend there was no rain forecast at all. Anyway, we decided to pack up and head back to the truck, which was roughly an hour or so hike. The rain starts getting worse, and fog started to settle. That was alarming to me because we're on a ridge and fog usually settles in the valleys, at least in my experience. So my friend and I are pretty creeped out about it. Now, I know the trail there is a very mild split where you can go back to the parking lot area or do a separate trail that goes on a few miles to an equestrian trail. I've been on both several times. Well... We mixed up in the inclement weather and took the ladder. We hiked for 30 minutes or so and the rain stopped. It didn't slow or drizzle, it just stopped. Hell, even the trail looked like there was hardly any rain on it. It was still very foggy. Both of us knew we weren't in the right spot and that something wasn't right. It was the hair on the back of your neck standing up. Kind of fucked up. We came down a hill and out of the thick fog, somehow, and before us was a dirt road. It had trees lining it and it went on as far as our flashlights reached. The temp had dropped off about 20 degrees. It was fucking insane and everything about this area, which I knew didn't exist, filled me and my buddy full of dread. I can't even explain how absurd and unnatural this place was. The feeling... For me, I can specifically nail down is that I did not belong here. So, instead of being normal ass white bread white people and investigating slash dying, we decided to turn the fuck around and go home. Uneventful walk back, but when we left that area, it was back to the rain, mud, and fog. I know for a fact this place we were at does not exist. Not only from my memory of these trails, but I also got on Google Maps and investigated. 
absolutely nothing like what we saw. So what the fuck was it? Where were we? And how do you explain it? No idea. I've even been back there to hike these trails. I'll bet in the daylight. But never saw the place again. So this experience turned me on to the missing 411. So he just goes on to say that he thought the books and the movies and all the YouTube videos about bizarre weather phenomenon with a mix of supernatural eventually leading to missing persons. Well, there's my initial story. But guys, check this out. It gets even more weird. Last year, I started dreaming about this place and being there. I don't know, like a calling to it maybe? I called my buddy who had moved away at the time and told him I had to tell him something. He said, bro, I've been dreaming about that place too. I in no way hinted at what I was going to say. It was terrifying and we decided we have to go back. He's moved back now and we are planning another trip to camp off the trail close to where this place is and we're going to investigate. So of course I had questions for him. I wanted to know about his dream. I'm like, do you get to go anywhere? Do you see houses? Like, how do you wake up from it? All that kind of stuff. And he was like actually really good about answering my questions. He didn't mind if I used his name. And if you guys actually want to see the thread, just go to Reddit, go to missing 411. And the name of the thread is bizarre camping trip thoughts. So it's all there. There's even a link to the area that he's camping at. But to answer my questions about his dreams, he says the dream is only of the road, the trees lining it, and it is in the clearing. But in the dream, it's too dark to see outside of the row of trees. It's more like an image, he says. And it's not like he gets woken up with a startle or anything, just like this really strong yearning to go back. So some people have warned him it's like a trick that he sure as fuck should not be going back there. And if he does, he should bring like one of those personal beacon devices. So I do just have to say thank you, Blue OG 46 for telling me your story and answering all my questions. I totally appreciate it. And I hope you, you know, have a good safe trip when you go back and let us know. Uh, we're super curious to see what you find when you go back to this place. I, I don't know, guys. There's just so many strange stories of stuff going on in the woods. I've been going up to, like, the Shasta Trinity area since I was 10 months old. And even I've experienced weird stuff. It's super easy to get turned around on trails you've been on a million times. It's like suddenly the forest goes quiet and you turn around and nothing looks the same. Even though you just walked on this trail and you've walked this trail thousands of times before. Some of the scarier stuff I've seen in Trinity Shasta area and the best way I can describe it are it's almost like it's darker than shadows and it doesn't have a form and it kind of moves between the trees. And even as a kid, somehow I instinctively knew to ignore it and to pretend that I didn't even see it. It just, it had a, almost a wild, strange, I can't even explain it, just a wild energy about it. And I just, like I said, I knew just fucking do not look at it. Just keep walking like you didn't see anything. But there are crazy amounts of sightings up in Shasta and Trinity of 
what people, I think they call it like spirits. There's been people that say they've nearly been lured to their death off cliffs. One man says that he was hiking down a big ass mountain and he saw a little old man calling to him. And once he got up to the area, the man was gone. But right where he was standing was a cliff that if he would have kept walking, if it was dusk or if he had tripped, he definitely would have fallen down this cliff and died. Other people describe hearing female voices calling their name and just having this urge to like follow the voice. But at the last minute, something, they don't know what, something snaps them out of it and they just get overcome with fear and decide to book it the fuck out of there. The Hopi Indians of the Shasta area have legends about vast networks of caves, a great city underneath Mount Shasta, where a reptilian race lives, and stories of seven-foot-tall humanoids. In March of 2011, an L.A. man says he was lured by a female voice to the woods. And you guys, he actually disappeared for a few weeks. He reappeared and said he was kidnapped by mysterious forces that led him to a cave where an unusually tall woman with blue eyes and a strange uniform actually rescued him. And if you look, there are tons of these stories. Mount Shasta has been identified by experts as a spiritual and cosmic energy point, a landing area for UFOs and an entry point that leads to the fifth dimension, access points to underground civilizations, it's like, where does this all come from? I don't think anybody knows, and I don't think we will ever know. Now, in the missing 411, The Hunted, there was a part where these, I, I guess I'm going to describe them as mountain men or out, outdoorsmen, because this stuff takes place in the 70s, and it's in California, way up kind of in the Sierras. I'm not going to give exact location. They don't even give exact location in the missing 411 Hunted doc. But I'll leave their names out of it and everything, too. If you guys want to check it out and see the full story that these uh, outdoors slash mountain men tell David Paladez, then go by the Missing 411 The Hunted documentary and check it out. It is so worth it just for, like, the last 20 minutes of this movie. It's fucking, like, it'll make the hairs on your arms and the back of your neck just raise up. So here we go, get ready for this scary shit. So way back in the 1950s in California, up in kind of like by Yosemite, the forests up there, a group of men would go about eight miles and they would use like mules or horses to get to this little camp spot. It was about a 4,000 elevation change on this eight mile hike. And it wasn't easy. Like, you had to literally pack in all of your gear and pack it out. And these guys would continually go there year after year. They even ended up bringing their kids and their families. And now their kids bring their kids. So it's kind of like a generational thing. So at some point, they built what they call a little hide shelter. And it was just kind of like logs put up. Maybe they were thinking, you know, if a bear comes, they can all go into this thing. It was, you know, just some sort of protection, which was a little bit better than the tents they had. So they started to experience strange things, strange noises and strange sightings. And they decided, well, one of them decided to get a hold of David and tell them their story. 
And I took some excerpts just kind of like of the noise and him describing this noise so you guys can hear what I heard on this tape. So get ready for that. We really didn't realize what we were dealing with. We still don't know what we're dealing with, but it's something very unusual. Strange things happen, and uh, most of the stuff happened in the evening time, just the dusk, nighttime, like now. And the first time I ever heard anything was later in 71. I came back up with the guys, and and uh, we were uh, here by the stove. There was a stove here then. <laughs> and uh, as soon as it starts getting dark, we'd go in. Sometimes you might hear a grunt or a whoop or a big blowing sound or something like that, and that's when you know you want to get inside the shelter because you still don't know what you're dealing with. Whatever it is, is big, very, very big. We all go inside, close the shelter door, and that's a wall that we put between these trees, and then we'd strap it inside a cable, and then, uh, then they would start making their sounds. And that was in 71 when I first started hearing them, and we started recording them. copy of the sounds they recorded back in 71, the sounds you just heard, and he submitted the tape to Dr. R. Lynn Curlin, Professor of Electrical Engineering from the University of Wyoming. The analysis stated the sounds were made by a creature with height estimated between 7 foot 3 and 8 foot. Three creatures were detected. The creature's frequency was lower than humans, and no evidence of tampering was ever found. The tampering part was actually investigated by Scott Nielsen, who is a retired cryptologist for the U.S. Navy, and here's him talking about that. I was trained in all of the deceptive practices in voice communications, 
Besides the fact that you have the creatures stepping on each other in their conversational turns, you have the, uh, the humans, like Ron, stepping on the creatures back and forth, overlapping their voices on the tapes. That can't be fake. Not in 1974. Plus, it would be extremely dangerous uh, to come up here at night into a camp full of well-armed hunters. They don't go to bed at night without their guns at their sides. <laughs> it's ridiculous to think of it. You wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it just to hoax a bunch of hunters up here. So from a 100% factual standpoint, we really don't know what's making this language sounds. That's right. We don't know. So again, that was Scott Nelson just describing why he thinks these tapes are legit. So there were certain parts in the tapes where you can hear the hunters kind of like mimicking the creatures. Um, I think they were just trying to communicate with them. I mean, if I was there in that little shelter, I literally would have pissed my pants and left at first light. Fuck all that craziness. So I just wanted to kind of highlight that for you. Just so you guys know, there is shit out in the woods that we know nothing about. Whether it be stories of Bigfoot or, you know, 9,000-year-old Native American legends of lizard people in cave, I guess, cave cities or whatever. There's a lot we just don't understand, you guys. And there are just so many people that seem to vanish every single year from our national park systems. It just has to make you wonder, what the fuck is going on out there? And I know this is kind of weird and spooky and not like our normal episodes. Um, and I'm not saying fucking Bigfoot is responsible for all of these disappearances. Or that the Fae came down and tricked people with female voices. I'm just saying that there may be more than just misadventures in the woods that are leading to these people's vanishings. Just think we don't know, and we may never know. One more vanishing I want to tell you guys about before I run away is of a man named Stanley Vigil, and he was 54 when he went missing in New Mexico. So I'm not, I don't know if this one's more of a spooky uh, vanishing or if this is kind of a foul play situation. It's a really strange story. So Stanley Vigil was last seen November 7th near Barillas Peak, east of Pecos, during a hunting trip with his family. Darcy Vigil, that's his sister, she's 37, said Stanley had been with their father and other family members driving through the mountains when Stanley spotted a deer. He jumped out of the truck and began tracking the animal, which she said wasn't very unusual for this hunting party. The group waited. But within five minutes, snow and fog started to spread through the area, diminishing their field of view to about 10 yards. See, that's one of those weird weather phenomena that Missing 411 keeps talking about. Anyway, after about 15 minutes, she said the alarmed hunting party call started calling her brother's name, honking and firing shots in the air. They did hear a shot fired back, but it was way further away. Stanley Vigil never returned. The members of the hunting party did call for search and rescue and the help of the state police, but he was never located. According to a television news report in February, 
Mitchell's family had continued its quest to find him even after the state police ended their search. His sister Darcy does say she suspects foul play. And check this out, I'm quoting her. At this point, to be honest with you, I feel like what happened to him was wrong. At this point, it's like we know there's foul play. She said her brother knew Barilla's peak and said the searchers found a game surveillance camera showing that after 33 hours, he had made it to the base of the mountain. She said he had gone to ask for help at a trailer nearby, but then he disappeared. She goes on to say, I don't see my brother asking for help and then going into a river to die. So when they found his body, he had broken ribs and head trauma. It's like, how the hell does that happen? How does he go ask for help, then suddenly get broken ribs, head trauma, and is found months later dead in a river? One interesting fact is the area that he went missing from is called the Pecos Triangle. Just because all the mysterious vanishings that happen in this area. If you happen to have any information on Stanley's case, you can call the state police at area code 505-827-9300 or 505-841-9256 or just call 911 or... You can email me at vanishedinthevalley at gmail.com or go check out the Instagram or the Facebook page and whatever information you have, uh, you can let me know there. And if you don't want to talk to the cops, I would be happy to talk to them for you. So before we get away today, let's see where our download cities are at. Ready for this shit, guys? So how surprising, Sacramento is in number one, Kamas is in number two, and Portland, Oregon is in number three. Uh, today I do have to give a little shout out to my boy Mike, way up in Bellingham, Washington. What's going on, Mike? He is my metal buddy that I like to chat to every now and then. Us metal people seem to be cut from the same cloth and we just kind of get each other. So I just want to say, hope everything is well up there in the forest and uh, shoot me a message, see what's up, you know. Um, what else we got going on? I did want to say thank you again to the Reddit user, BlueOG46. Just got to say thank you so much for, you know, letting me uh, tell your story and answering all my rando questions that I had about the whole thing. Uh, another thing I wanted to bring up was, you know, I was going to bring up, like, some of the fucking negative reviews we get, but I honestly don't give a fuck, so I'm not going to waste my time. <laughs> so, guys, as I always fucking tell you, be aware, and don't forget your pepper spray. Ciao, ciao. Are you lost?